All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up, if you will, to Matthew chapter 20. All right? We, we've been going through the parables of Jesus, and everyone loves a good story. And Jesus is a really, really good storyteller. And so today's parable is a, it's a familiar parable. It is a great parable. It's the, the parable one of those, of the laborers in the vineyard. So I titled the lesson today, It's Time to Go to Work, because that's exactly what the parable, the story, is about. It's time to go to work. And so Jesus tells this story. And this story, this parable today, has every single thing to do with this one thing that Christians, for the most part, will struggle with the most. And that's this word that we call grace. It is hard to define grace. Um, it is hard, it's, it's much more harder to understand grace. We don't know very many people that really exhibit grace. But you're going to see in this parable today the uh, far-reaching limits of what this word grace means. And you heard me say this a couple of weeks ago. You know, God's grace is completely unfair. And to that, we should all say amen to that. And you're going to see that in this parable, more than in any parable we're going to look at today, that thought. So, let's get with the parable. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, Jesus said this. He said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you too go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. Remember that part right there. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour, and then the ninth hour, and then he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, that means one more hour before workday was over. At about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, Why have you been standing idle all day long? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You go. Go and work in the vineyard. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call all the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. There's a reason for that. And when those hired at that 11th hour, the ones that worked just one hour in that field, uh, when the 11th hour had come, those workers, each one received a denarius, verse 10. And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive a lot. But they received, each one, a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled. They grumbled at the landowner, saying, Now, these last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the entire day. But he answered and he said to one of them, he said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? 
Thus the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Man, that is such a good parable. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say this to the end. There's one thing in this parable I have never, ever, ever, ever caught that just super glues the whole point of the parable. I'm going to share that at the very end. I think you're going to feel the same way. It is really, it is really pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So I want us to get into the parable. And as you look in your bulletin, you're going to see just two points. I will give the answers to the first part of each point. I will save the second part of both answers to the end. So don't think I went off and forgot to bring you up to speed. But that's, uh, that's how we're going to roll this out. Okay? Now, in Matthew chapter 19, in the previous chapter... Beginning in verse 16, it's important to see what has happened in order to understand that parable that we just heard. In order to understand why did Jesus say this parable? What led Jesus to say what he said? To know that, rewind, and we're not going to read all of that, but I just want you to just get the overview picture here of what has happened. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16... That's the encounter that Jesus had uh, with the rich man. Most of you know the story. If you don't, a rich man went up to Jesus and he had his entourage with him. And he goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, he says, good teacher. That's how he addressed uh, Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Now what he asked, he asked the million dollar question. That is the question Everybody, everywhere on this planet wants to know, what do I have to do to go to heaven? What does it take for me to enter into this place that we call heaven, glory, paradise, whatever? It's what, 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 what do I have to do? And so you see Jesus' response. He begins to talk to this man, and he tells this man... Uh, to obey the commandments. What Jesus is not doing, he's not telling him, now if you keep these commandments and this little checklist, then you get to go. He's not doing that, but it gives the appearance of that, but he does that for a reason. Because standing before him, this rich man, Jesus can see in this rich man, his whole life is about checklist. Now he knew that because he was Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Jesus is leading the witness, if you will, telling him, keep the commandments. And he starts to say some commandments. And when he is through, this man says to this rich man, he replies to Jesus and he says, Lord, I've done all these things. As if to say, so I'm on my way, right? And then Jesus says one more thing. He says, do one more thing. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And upon hearing those words, the Bible says that rich man, he hung his head in shame and regret because he was not willing to do that. And he went off sadly. Now we don't know this rich man's name, but we know his character don't we? This man's whole life was built upon the things that he did himself. He was a man's man, and he made his own way, and he's reaping the benefits of working a hard, uh, fruitful life, so to speak. Jesus is not uh, Jesus isn't angry at all with this man. In fact, when he's talking to this man, he's talking to this man in love. Jesus is really trying to reach this man. Someone would say, well, then why did Jesus tell him to sell everything you have so rich people don't go to heaven? That's not the point. That's not even the question. That wasn't with this guy. It was easy to see when this man approached Jesus that everything about him was the bling-bling. Everything. His whole life was wired with wealth. His whole life was consumed with riches and Jesus saw that the God for this rich man was his wealth 
And he's just wanting to know, after I serve the God in this life of this wealth, then how do I serve the God of creation in this place called heaven? And Jesus is literally saying to him, you have to know the God of creation while you're down here before you can see and know the God of creation when you die in heaven. And that's Jesus' way. He's telling him, if you will get rid of this, obviously you're going to remove from you your idol. It's his idol. It's his motive. His motive was to worship his riches. Remember the word motive. That's a key word for the rest of this message today. As this rich man goes off, and because he said he's not willing to do what Jesus said. I want to hang on to all my wealth. I'm not going to help anybody. This is mine. And he goes away sad because he knew immediately he was unwilling to do anything that he needed to do. Why? Because his love was consumed with his wealth. The disciples are standing nearby. They're watching all of this play out. They see everything taking place. And it's really interesting, the dialogue that they have with Jesus as the man rides off on his donkey or camel or whatever it was. And he goes out of view. Jesus perceives that the disciples have been standing there listening. So Jesus uses this as an opportunity to talk to the disciples. And thankfully, who was it that stood up to speak and put his foot in his mouth? Peter. He was the best at putting his foot in his mouth. And that is awesome because there's a whole lot of Peters out here and there's one standing right behind this podium right now. They speak first without really thinking through what it is they're saying, all right? And I'm thankful for that because we get to see a lot more of, well, what would Jesus say or what would Jesus do if I were to ask him this? Well, we got Peter to thank for that. He asked all the wrong questions and he got all of the right answers. So we're going to look at the right answers because it has a lot to do with this parable right here. Jesus recognizes the disciples have seen everything happen. So Jesus uh, says to them, and you're going to see this up on the screen. Jesus says, uh, beginning in verse 23 of chapter 19, he says this. Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished. And then they said, well, then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So the, the, the disciples are thinking, wait a minute. Now, what do you mean about rich people in heaven? Again, the more people seem to accumulate, if they do not know Jesus, it is harder for them to put aside what makes them feel good and to recognize they do have a need. And that need, it's a sinful need. They need forgiveness and they, they need restoration. They got to have it. We all have to have it. But it's so much easier to. Uh, be led astray into thinking that life is going pretty good when you have everything that you need, doesn't it? You don't have to tell a, a poor, hungry person that they're hungry. You don't have to. They know it. They, know, they live it. They experience it. Their need is daily. But someone who places their faith and their trust and their stuff... Sometimes they don't recognize or know that they got a problem too. That's what this point is. It has nothing to do with rich going to heaven, poor going to hell. There will be a lot of rich people in heaven. There will be a lot of poor people in heaven. It's about the heart. So 
The disciples hear what Jesus just said. Now, I want you to take note of what Peter now says. When he, all the disciples heard this, but Peter, he steps out to speak on behalf of all the disciples. Okay, he's the spokesman. And he says this. You'll see this on the screen too. Verse 27 says this. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Behold, we have left everything, and we are following you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, that's that thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, he says, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, and you'll be judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms, for my name's sake, shall receive many times as much. And you'll receive eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And last will be first. You know what's interesting? I'll give you a little hint about that one thing that really just caught me. Right here we read to Peter in his response what he said. Jesus ends his comment to Peter by saying, But Peter, I want you to know the first will be last. The last will be first. At the end of the parable, in verse 20, Jesus is saying to those who worked the 11th hour, I only worked one hour, what does he say to them? The last will be first. He switches it. Then what he said right here, If you're like me, you've read this many times, just flies out over, oh, it's all the same thing. Last, first, first, last. It's same. No, it's not. And there's a reason why Jesus did the old switcheroo when he was talking to this question of Peter versus uh, when he gave the parable. It's, it's fascinating. What is the parable about? Let's talk about what the parable is not saying first because that will rob you of any preconceived thoughts that you have in verses one and two of the parable it tells us that the owner of the vineyard what did he do with the laborers the bible says he agreed that's important he agreed that first group that came to work for jesus they said we're going to work for you but we want this much that's what they did. That's how they went to work. Okay, we'll follow you, but we want this much to follow you, which was a denarius. The owner heard it. Okay, if that's what you want, uh, let's do a denarius. So they said, okay. They ran out into the field, and they started to work. They agreed on a specific price to work in that field. In other words, they agreed to work on a condition. On a condition. And that was a denarius. Now we can ascertain in this parable that this parable is not about salvation. Someone could say, how do you know? Because salvation cannot be bought by a price. A denarius. It's not bought with money. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot earn your way into heaven. Good works won't get you to heaven. Getting to heaven is your, your walk with Jesus. It's when you committed your life into following Jesus because you know you are bankrupt. You've got nothing to offer but His goodness and His grace because of what He did for you and what He did for me on the cross. That's what salvation is. This parable this first group, the only group, by the way, this first group agreed on a price. Now, you might be thinking, well, maybe this has to do with rewards that we will receive. 
because we see different types of devotions taking place within this story. Some worked all day, some came at the third hour, some at the sixth hour, some at the ninth hour, and then there's that loser group that got in on the eleventh hour. That's spoken from the bitterness of those who worked all day in the field. Now, maybe it's about rewards. Here's the reason why this parable is not about future rewards. In this parable, they all received the same reward, didn't they? But we know from what the Bible has to tell us about the judgment seat of Christ, all rewards given out on that day will vary. You're not receiving the same reward as everyone else around you. They're all different. Why? Because there's a lot of Christians who are really committed. There are some Christians who are half-hearted committed. There are some Christians who are barely committed. And there are some Christians you wonder, how are you even a Christian? And at the judgment seat of Christ, all that's going to be brought out. So we know this has nothing to do with rewards. Because in this parable, they all received the same pay. What then do we find when we break this parable down? What is this parable about? I'll tell you what this parable is about. This parable is about motives. It is about your attitude. This parable has every single thing to do with your purpose statement as a Christian. So on that note, let me open the door and ask you this question. Why do you do what you do now for Jesus? Why do you do it? Sadly, there will be some of us will leave here today and in church we're all good Christian people. When we go out, we're going to live like cursed sailors. That's disgusting. That's bad. That's terrible. You're really shooting yourself in the foot because you're not drawing people to Jesus. You're just acting just like them. But there will be people like that. In all churches everywhere, why do you do what you do for Jesus? When you are faced with a, a question or a dilemma this week on to do something, to go somewhere, maybe to enter into a dialogue on things you should not be talking about, and you stop or you change course, or you find a way to get out of that because you know, ah, I can't do that. No, I'm not going to say that. Uh, no, I'm not going to even talk about that because it ain't right. Why is it not right? Because I don't think this would be noble, honoring, virtuous, whatever. Do you do that? Because you just want to be awkward and different? Or maybe do you do that because you know this isn't what Jesus would want me to do and therefore I'm not going to do it. What? is your motive today. Everything that you do, why do you do it? Now, there's no question in my mind that there is no one in this room that takes a little notebook. Well, I did this today. That'll get me a good crown right there. Oh, I did this today. I'm going to look good on that day. Oh, this is really good. Jesus he loves me 10 times more now. And there's no one that does that stuff because none of that stuff is, is real. Nobody does it. That's not the motive. But why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? In this parable, we're going to see two different types of laws. All right? Two different laws that govern the workers, the laborers in that field that day. All right? I want to take a look at those with you. It's in recognizing both of these different opposing laws that tells us why we saw the parable and why that came off of Peter's question. And Peter's question that he gave to Jesus came off of seeing this rich man go off sad because of what Jesus told him. The first question that I want us to look at is that law, it's that first group the one that agreed, remember, on a price? This group, these people had the law of their guarantee or as their guarantee. I, I think I put of in your bulletin. I meant to put the word as. This first group had the law as their guarantee. But here's one thing I want us to remember, too, before we look at these two different groups. All who were sent went, right? Right? 
they all went. But this first group, they wanted a contract. They wanted to agree with the owner, we'll work in your vineyard. What will you do for us? You see that? We just read it. That was part of Peter's question. Lord, that rich man, he went off sad and dejected because he loves his wealth and his money, but we have left everything to follow you. On that note, so what's going to be in it for us? That's what he said. It's in your bulletin. Your Bible. It's in your Bible. It's in chapter 19. Bulletin. It's in your Bible, too. And that's what he said. He says to Jesus, we will go too, but this first group of people, they had the law as their guarantee. They went to work, but only after they agreed with the owner. They made the owner, they worked out a contract deal. So they went. Um, That law was their guarantee that when they were through working, that they would receive what they agreed to work for, which is a denarius that they agreed on. But that second group that we see, these are those who worked the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and then the eleventh hour. They had the Lord as their guarantee, not the law. They had the Lord. They had the Lord as their guarantee because when you read in the parable, what does Jesus say in this parable? When he goes into the marketplace and he kept finding people and they're standing there and he's like, why are you standing here uh, when you could, you know, be working in the field? And they're like, well, because no one hired us. He goes, well, get going. You just got hired. And then it says, and you'll see it. And the owner told them they agreed to work with him knowing he would do what was right. Remember that? Those are important words, and boy, they can just fly right by and you miss it real quick. They agreed to do what the owner wanted them to do because they agreed with him that it would be right. The price. The pay. Now, my question to you today has a lot to do with your motives as well. Now, just for fun, just for fun, commercial timeout in the message, let me ask you this. How many of y'all here today, um, you accepted Christ, you became a Christian, you prayed, you prayed to receive Christ when you were below the age of 10? How many? Raise your hands. You were 10 years or younger, all right? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you accepted Christ uh, when you were under the age of 20 to 10? That, that, that gap. 10 years old to 20. Oh, yeah, that's me. I was 19. <laughs> Forgot me. I didn't even raise my hand. You'd go home. And you know what's everybody raised their hand today, but the preacher never raised his hand. Okay, I got my hand up. Just forgot. How many of you were between the ages of 20 and 30 when you became a Christian? Okay, how about 40 and 50? All right, how about over the age of 50? It's when you accepted Christ. Okay. All right. You just saw the 11th hours right there. Isn't it great to be in the 11th hour? It is great to be. God's grace is unfair. Amen? Amen. I could make a bat to say hallelujah when you think about that, right? There is an inequality in length of service and talent among all of God's people. We know that, don't we? We know that. Now I want you to think about this. Let me blow your mind with a thought. Think about this. That thief on the cross, Luke 23, verse 
39 through 43, who got saved by what we would call the skin of his teeth. Because he didn't have a chance to jump off that cross, go out and live a life, make a difference, get back on that cross and die. He was on that cross when he died. He got in, his life was saved, his life was spared spiritually, if you will. His life of service was limited to a moment of just repentance and confession of faith in Christ. He's going to receive the same reward as the Apostle Paul. Now let that soak in. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I'm so, I am so thankful for that. When I look at my life and how many times, why did I just do that? Why did I just say that? What am I thinking? And I get down on myself. It's about His grace. And does not God have a right to do with what He has, with what is His? That's what He said, is it not? Now, some people are not called to work in a vineyard immediately after they are saved. God wants all of us to get in that field and start working. If you're a Christian, you are obligated to join what God is doing. And we don't have to, we get to. And that's the difference that we see in the attitudes of these two different groups. Those being governed um, by the Lord versus those being governed by the law. The law of their price, their contract, what they said they would do. Some people will uh, work in a field that is full of heartache. Some people will work in a field uh, where the ministry is really not very safe. Some are going to work in a field that will never experience revival. Some will never preach to thousands, but all are called to work in the field. And that field is the field that the Lord is placing you in. Right now, when you go to work this week or whatever you do, you have been placed in that specific part of God's field to make a difference to those who are around you. That's why, that's why you're there and you're not somewhere else. And there's different laborers, different timings, but we've all been called. This parable today, this is a parable for Christians. This parable right here. That field of ministry is where God has placed you at. You know, Jesus said in John 10, 16, you'll see that on the screen. Jesus said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. We know who that is. That's the Gentiles. That's us. That's us. We've already looked at the parables when Jesus turned from the ministry of going forward to, uh, with the Jews because of their unbelief and the hardness of their heart. And we read all those parables in Matthew chapter 13, which has to do with uh, the beginning of time and what God was going to plan to do versus the changes that God brought about. And one day he will return back to his original plan. We are living right now in that in-between time period, the, the, the time of the church, the rise of the Gentiles. Kind of sounds like a movie that we could see with the whole oh, Lord of the Rings, isn't it, right there? It's that we are living in that time right now, that period, the rise of the Gentiles. I am certain that when Jesus, uh, when he shared this truth right here, he had this in mind when he said what he said to Peter. He had this in mind when he said what he said about the parable that we just looked at, this right here. You know, we should not serve him because of what we can receive or, uh, or in order to get something in return. That's not the reason why we should serve him. 
Who are we to even think, y'all, that we deserve anything? I mean, now think about that. What, regardless of your status today, who are you to think? Who am I to think that I'm going to stand before God and demand anything? We should never insist on what we will get. And is that not a really good point to remember? Because what happened with that first group? Let's wrap up today's parable. And Matthew chapter 20, verses 10 through 12, we see those who worked first in that group. They worked all day. And they trusted, listen to me, they trusted in their bargain. They agreed on a price, so the owner, okay, if that's what you want, then that's what, we'll, what I'll do. We'll do one denarii. They had the law as their guarantee. Their spirit was wrong from the get-go. And here's a part in your bulletin if you want to fill this in. They received just what they bargained for instead of a loving reward. I don't have any doubt. And if you look this parable over again at some point today, whenever, you'll see it too. There is no question. If they'd have gone and worked in the field when the owner first asked them to, and they didn't say, well, we'll do it, but we'll do it for a price. Or Peter's attitude, what's in it for us? If they would have agreed to just go work, they probably would have got 12 denarius, one per hour. But they wanted a set contract. So you know what God did with them? Okay. We'll agree. We'll go. I'll agree with you. We'll go with the contract. But I don't want to do, do with you, deal with you according to a contract. I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. I want you to know me. I want you to know that I can be trusted. I want you to know that I know what's going on. I want you to know that I see how hard you work. And as the parable says, to the second group, they followed him because they knew that he would do what was right. God is saying to that first group, I wish you would have enough faith in me to follow me to know that I would do what is right. But instead, they were mad. In the parable, as it was now the last group being judged first, and they were all getting one denarii, as it's getting closer and closer down, 11, 9, 6, 3, down to the group that worked first. That group that was working first, they were probably thinking, man, we're going to make a killing. That person over there, those few little workers over there that's only been here one hour, man, they've made one denarius. Look at what, we're going to retire. And then it gets to them, one denarii, just one. And I want you to know this, that in the parable, Jesus is telling the parable, this is God who is the owner of the field. I know that you all know that. You notice that when the owner called the foreman over to pay the laborers, did you notice? He said, begin with the last group first. Did you notice that? He had a precise order in which it was to be rendered. This is God, I find it funny. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, sarcasm, it's God's way of saying, if you would just listen to me, if you would just follow me, it would be so much better. I want you to see that my grace and my love is extended to everyone, regardless of the time. They're following me because they just have all faith in me that I'll do what's right. And he wanted them to know it because he wanted that I'm going to call it greed, but he wanted that self-centeredness of greed building within them to realize they're just getting one denarii. Why? Because we'll work for you, but what's in it for us? And then in verses 8 and 9, that second group, that group that came last, who is now being rewarded first, they trusted in the owner's benevolence. In the owner's benevolence. 
they had the Lord as their guarantee, not the law. These were the ones who worked all those different times, those different hours. Even at the 11th hour, he hired more workers who were more now dependent upon the generosity of the owner, weren't they? You know they were. Because time was running out. They did not say, we will serve you, but on these terms. They did not have Peter's spirit when he said, well, what will we get? Or basically, what's in it for us? The landowner promised to pay what was right. And the workers, listen, they were sufficiently confident in the landowner's character. It was enough. It's enough for me, God. You do whatever you do. It's enough for me. Because I know you. I know whom I have believed, and I believe that he is able, regardless of what comes at you in life. They were trusting in the owner's character. You know, if there is anything that you leave with today, I want you to leave with the understanding that Jesus will reward Jesus will reward, but he will do so based on the manner in which we serve him. On the manner that we serve him. I put a quote by John Phillips, my favorite theologian, at the bottom of your bulletin because I wanted you to remember what he said. What did he say? We learn from this parable that as long as we do not neglect the opportunity given to us, the amount of time we spend in the Lord's service is not nearly as important as the spirit in which our service is rendered. Boy, isn't that good? That's, that's good. That's, that's putting it right where it needs to be. You know, when I accepted Christ, I, I've shared this only a few times. I just usually leave this part out because it's kind of weird and I don't want it to throw anyone off. But I was 19 years old. When I accepted Christ, I didn't know a single thing about anything about the Bible. Nothing. 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 Didn't even know that I believed in God. I just didn't think I came from a monkey. I had too much honor and dignity to think that I came from something like that. But I never gave thought to God to anything because all the friends I ran around with, they weren't Christians, and their lives were very happy. And the people that I knew that went to church were either really weird, odd, strange, or they were just doing the same thing that I did, so what makes me any different? Well, when God worked in my life that whole summer, at the end of that summer, when I realized I want what Arlo has, a guy that really impacted me, I gave my life to Christ. When I prayed to Jesus, I didn't have anyone to help me. I wish I did. It would have been so much better and I wouldn't have struggled so much longer after I prayed because I just struggled with so many things. I didn't know anything. When I prayed, I prayed a really unorthodox prayer. And that's why I am so grateful that God looks at the heart when our mouths aren't communicating proper English or things that just make sense. I remember specifically praying. I said, Lord... When I die, I want to have that kind of relationship with you that Arlo has. I want what he's got. I said that. And I said, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I never even knew what that meant three months ago. And you died for me. And I remember I was really emotional and I was telling the Lord, Lord, I don't know why you would die for me. Do you really know everything I've done? All the times I've partied, my mouth, everything. I mean, God, I've been such a mess. And I remember at that time, I had my hands together like this because pictures you would see uh, were always people, when they pray, their hands like this. All right, I guess my hands got to be like, I mean, I was imitating what, everything I could put my hands on to do it right. And I said this in my prayer. This is the part that's really kind of unorthodox. I said, Lord, when I die, if, you're, if you are in heaven, where else would he be? But remember, I was dumb. I said, Lord, if you're in heaven, 
when I die, then let me go to heaven and give me the, the dirtiest job you got up there. I'll do it. Because I just want to be where you're at. I said that. And then I said, but if you're in hell, now I didn't think he was like in hell bad. In my mind, was he reigning over hell? Is he kicking? T- I don't know. I didn't know. But hell's not a good place, and that was my thinking, because I know, I know me. I said, but Lord, if you're in hell, then I'll go there, because I just want to be with you. I just want to be where you're at. Do you all recognize heaven as a person before it's a place? Has that ever occurred to you? It should, because if it's not... There's your free little one-sentence message of today. Heaven is a person before it's a place. And the thing I want us to realize in this parable here today is as Peter, as Peter asked Jesus, well, we've left everything to follow you, so what's going to be in it for us? Unlike this poor rich person who just went off and said no. What's in it for us? Jesus then tells Peter, verses 27 through 30 of Matthew chapter 19, he does say, all right, Peter, in the new kingdom, the regeneration, that thousand-year reign of Christ, and we'll be looking at that too in weeks coming up, he says, you will sit on thrones. There will be 12 thrones for the apostles where you will be judging. In other words, they'll have places of honor. They're going to be there. But then he says to Peter, he says, but Peter, I want you to know the first will be last and everything else I'm going to be doing. Why? Because you didn't have the right motive when you were following me. You were following me because of what you could get. I'm not, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for those who will follow me because they love me, not because of what they're going to get. That's why, to Peter, remember, Peter, Jewish, he says, the first will be last. Why? They didn't have the right motive. But then you go on to the parable. And isn't it not interesting that right after that, he goes right into a parable. You know, that whole point of the parable, there's, well, there's a lot of points with the parable, but one main point in that parable is to show that everyone else who comes, who's not coming because what's in it for me, but simply because they're going to trust in the owner to do what is right, the last will be first. That's why he changed. That's why we see the flop in what he said. Because his heart is with those who are going to follow him because they love him. Not, because, not just because well, we were first. God decided to choose us first. We're first. Has nothing. Who cares? That's why it doesn't matter when you get in. As long as you just get in. Right? We're thankful for that. When you started following Jesus, what was the motive of your heart then? As I've been preparing this message, I got to thinking back when I accepted Christ. I wish I had someone with me to help me in that prayer because I've never heard another prayer like that, but the Lord knew my heart, and I'm thankful for that. I just wanted the Lord to know, Lord, I'm gonna, I want to go where you're at. I, I just want to be with you. That's all I want. All this other stuff, I'm sick and tired. I don't want it. It's fleeting. It doesn't satisfy. You know what satisfies? All I've been learning about you, and I want that. So wherever you're at, that's put me down. I, that's where I want to go. That's what I was saying. So what were your motives like when you first came to follow Christ? And second, I want to ask you this, to think on this week. What are your motives today as you serve Jesus? And has it changed from day one when you first started to follow him? I want you to think about that. And if it's changed, the good news is you have plenty of time to talk to the Lord about it and make it right. Remember, that first group that was upset with him because they felt like they were robbed. Remember the owner's response in the parable? What does it say? Jesus said, friend, why are you so angry with me? Do I not have what is 
the right to do with what is already mine. He wasn't mad at Peter. In the parable, he's not mad at those who wanted to agree as long as you do this for me. He wasn't even mad then. We would be mad. And look at that attitude. What a sorry attitude. He wasn't even mad. Was he disappointed? Yeah. Maybe a little bit heartbroken? Yeah. Because he wants more of that from those who follow him. So where are you at today? Do you have the law as your guarantee or do you have the Lord as your guarantee? And you talk to him about that. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you today. God, we want to thank you that you allow us to come in a place where we can learn about you, <coughs> where we can hear about you. God, will you give us a chance to look at our hearts and to see where we stand and what, uh, what's going on? Lord, that you give us the freedom to surround ourselves with other people who are going through struggles just like we are, but we just want to see our lives better, spiritually speaking. And so, Lord, we want to thank you that we have this place we can do that in. Lord, we want to thank you for the things that you're doing here at the church. The upgrades to our facilities, God, and that's the only, the only reason why is to show those who come here that we care about them and we care about their overall experience here at this church. God, we have a lot of laborers in this room. There are some that help us with these buildings. We have some that help us with policies. God, we have incredible workers that do it to the prison ministry, to our women's ministry, our marriage ministry, our young adults, our student ministry, the daycare. God, you have given us, you have given us an all-star cast of laborers. And I pray, God, today that you would so energize us and speak to us of the importance for everyone in this room to be a laborer in some way within your church. God, just think of what we could do by bonding together and having the same heart with the same focus as we go forward. Lord, I pray and ask if there is anyone here today and they don't know you, that God, that you would encourage them to come down and speak to one of the ministers. We can tell them exactly what they need to do and to know what they need to know in order to go to heaven. Lord, if there are those here today and they're looking for an answer, God, they could come down and talk to us or they could talk to anyone at the end of these rows who are part of the prayer ministry team. They would love to pray with those people over anything that they have going on. And God, if there's anyone else that's here and they're looking for a church home, God, I just encourage you to speak to them and let them know they can, they can talk to anyone here today down here at the front, and we would be more than happy to, to welcome them into uh, the, the family here at Red Baptist Church. But God, more than anything this week, would you help us to search our motives of why do we do what we do for you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.